because it is New Year's, uh, if I'm honest with you, I'm not typically one to change my preaching plans for a day like Mother's Day or Father's Day or New Year's. I, I just don't typically do that. But today, since Sunday is on New Year's and I was studying Hebrews, and as I was, I really truly felt kind of moved in a direction to share something else with you today on on a day where we are commemorating the start of a new year and new beginnings. So today will be a little bit of a topical message, and the title of it is Resolve to be Holy. So I want to share with you something today around this theme that typically what people do is create New Year's resolutions. I checked a statistics website for the United States that shared the top New Year's resolutions for this year. They asked people back in December what they planned on making their New Year's resolutions. These were just the top five. Honestly, probably no surprise, probably happens year after year. The number one was to exercise more. That was 52%. 50% of people said eat healthier. It's more than 100% because they could give more than one answer. So over half said exercise, half said eat healthier. 40% said they plan to lose weight. And some said save money. And then the fifth one was more time with friends and family. I looked at some Christian websites to see, did they have any thoughts around New Year's resolutions specifically for Christians? And they were good ones, but they were honestly probably the typical. Read the Bible more, have more dedicated prayer time, sharing their faith with a friend or a family member that they haven't, uh, maybe being more involved in their church and serving. Now here's what I found interesting. I could not find, maybe it's out there, but I couldn't find, any of these lists for recommending New Year's resolutions, especially for Christians, I couldn't find any that made a specific reference to resolve to be holy or more holy in 2023. Now, the Christian ones, they are good, but those specific resolutions, like read the Bible more, pray more, be involved more, those, I would argue, are the results of being more holy. They're, they're the symptoms, essentially, of a holier lifestyle. If you're focused on being more holy, then you're going to do more holy things, like pray more, be involved more, read the Bible more. So what I thought was, let's have a message where we don't focus on me trying to share with you, here's resolutions you should do next year. I'm not going to do that. But I just want to say, let's step back and focus on where we should start to begin with in 2023 we should start with focusing on our own holiness. Before we get to specifics of, you may say, I've resolved to exercise or eat better, read my Bible more, that's fine. But it should start with, I resolve to be more holy in 2023. That's what I hope we walk away with this morning, is to see that no matter what your goals are for this year, my top priority and your top priority, the fountainhead that should start the rest of our activities for this year should be that we first resolve to be more holy, holier in 2023 than we were in 2022. Have you ever said that to yourself or heard anyone talk like that? I haven't. What I mean is where someone has said, you know what, I really think I'm resolved to be more holy, or I, I think that I'm going to take my holiness more seriously. I realized one day, speaking for myself, I was not taking the idea of holiness serious enough. Um, this journey started with me toward the latter part of last year. I found a book by a theologian, he's passed away now, named Dr. R.C. Sproul. And he had a book called Growing in Holiness. 
And in this book, he simply stressed this concept of as Christians, we say the word holy, we bandy it about because it's in the Bible. We say, be holy, live holy. But we probably don't stop and think about, really reflect personally and ask ourselves, but what does that really mean to be holy? How, how do I do it? What should I do to really be holy? And the point of this, really, the whole book is simply this. You actually have to be intentional about being a holier person for the Lord. So that's kind of what spawned these thoughts that I have today. We could focus on Bible reading and these other activities like praying. But like I said, at the end of the day, what we really need is to focus on our holiness. And then those other things sort of flow out from us being a holier person. The idea is this. The more holy you and I become, the more faithful we will be in those other activities that you may say are important for you this year. So you want to have better Bible reading and a better prayer life? Well, it starts with being a holier person. Holy people do holy things. So holiness should be our main resolution for this year. Let me start with this question. What does it mean to be holy, though? Let's define it. Holiness is a complex word. It can have different nuances of meanings in the Bible. There's another word that you can use as a synonym, an interchange of sort of, and it would be sanctification. So if I say holiness or sanctification, they're essentially talking about the same concept. But it basically means this, set apart. That was the basic definition of the word holy or sanctified. It meant set apart. Now, it meant a little more specifically, though, set apart for God. It meant not for common use. It meant dedicated to God, dedicated for a special purpose for the Lord. It, it could have a moral meaning. So it meant without sin. God is himself said to be holy. There's no one like him. He's completely in a league of his own. He is also without sin. Furniture, even, in the tabernacle and the temple was called holy. It didn't mean the furniture was without sin. It doesn't make choices like that. But what it meant was the furniture that they created had a special, specific use. It was set apart only to be used in the house of the Lord, to be used in worship to the Lord. The priests were also called holy. That doesn't mean they were sinless. It means their job, their function was completely set apart for a special purpose before the Lord. The New Testament calls Christians to live holy lives. Lives that are set apart, dedicated to God. And yes, lives that are without sin. Lives that are overcoming more sin. So I want you to think of holiness this morning in two main ways. Holiness means, on the one hand, dedicated to God. So there's a dedication piece or set apart. And then the other part of it is the moral part, overcoming sin. So those two ideas are loaded in that word holiness. It means dedicated to God. So we're talking, I'm setting out to have a special purpose, a special focus to my life, and it's for the Lord. And then the other part is morally, yes, I'm trying to overcome more sin in 2023 than I did last year. So I would define holiness in another way like this to be more simplistic. Just think of being more like Jesus Christ. Your thoughts, your actions, your speech, your lifestyle, being holy means you're trying to simply think, say, and do more like Jesus Christ. It's resolving to let the Holy Spirit take more control of your life to make you into a mini Jesus Christ, a replica of Jesus Christ. So when we say resolve to be holy, what that means is we must resolve this year to give over more control to God in all areas of our lives and overcome more sins. 
An even simpler way to say it would be this, resolve to think like, talk like, and live like Jesus did when he was on this earth. Now, we can't do the miracle part. He did that, not us. But nonetheless, we can still focus like he did on setting our lives apart, dedicating our lives to clearly have a focus on serving the Lord and overcoming sin. Now, here's the first thing. Holiness must be planned. I really want to stress that this morning. Say, but wait a minute. The Bible calls God's people holy. They are holy automatically once the Holy Spirit dwells them and they're forgiven. There is a part that, yes, we are declared holy by the Lord. But what we're talking about this morning is the other parts where the Bible says, but you still have more holiness to get to. You have more sanctification to get. It's a process over the course of our lives until we get into eternity and then we're fully sanctified. We're made fully holy. So we have to pursue holiness on purpose. We must make a purposeful resolution to be more holy in 2023. It's no different than making a workout plan or a diet plan or a reading plan. Uh, There's Bible reading plans you can find out there. And these Bible reading plans will let you read through the Bible or the whole Bible or the Old Testament or just the New Testament. It'll let you read it in six months or one year or two years. But the point of whatever plan you choose, the neat thing about them is every day it tells you this is the part you read of the Bible. You don't even have to think about it. You just every day you know to read this section. And if you follow the plan, the end result is you've read the Bible the way you set out to do Diet plans are the same way. If you say, well, I want to diet, well, you're going to have to sit down and purposely plan your meals, how you're going to eat, the calories you're going to take in. The point I'm sharing with all this is it requires a plan. You have to sit down and purposely plan this out and make a plan. It'd be neat if we had some sort of an app that's like a holiness tracker, and it would just tell you, like, today you had X number of minutes of holiness. You need a little bit more. Or We don't have that, but that is the idea I'm getting at. We have to purposely plan to be holy. There's an old hymn title I love called Take Time to Be Holy. And that's the point of that hymn is purposely set aside the time. Give conscious thought to how have I been holy today? That's the idea. Well, the Bible gives us a plan we can implement. And that's just what I want to share with you this morning. So what's the plan to be holy? How do we be holy for 2023? We have to start by actually making holiness a priority. So prioritize holiness in your life. It starts there, making it a conscious priority. Why should we make holiness a priority? Why does it even matter? The blunt fact is, the simple answer is, because God's will for your life and mine is that we be holy people. That reason alone should be enough to say, yes, I will intentionally set out to be holy. Why? Because God said to. God said it and that's it, right? The saying goes, God said it, that settles it. Well, that is the truth. We have to make it a priority because God said it should be our priority. We need to pretend like that God has appeared right in front of you. Let's say the Lord Jesus Christ just appears in front of you and you get to ask him, Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? I have been begging to ask you what you want me to do in my specific life. And let's say he just says to you, be holy, be a holy person set apart for me and for my service. You would probably take that incredibly serious and you would structure every part of the rest of your life to fulfill Jesus saying to you in person, be holy. But the truth is, If we believe the Bible is God's word to us, and it is, then when we read this, it is Jesus telling us, do these things. When the Bible says over and over, be holy. So we need to treat it with that level of priority and seriousness. When I'm going to share with you a couple passages, well, pretend in your mind, this is Jesus Christ himself saying before me, this is what you're going to do with your life. Be holy. God makes it a priority, so we should too. 
Let me share the first one with you. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know that instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, verse 3 is the key, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. The word sanctification again is just holiness. So this is the will of God. So Paul says very bluntly, what's God's will for your life? Your holiness, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Now that last part, sexual morality, to be fair, the context of that passage is he is telling the Thessalonians to flee sexual lust and sexual morality. And he walks through them through this process of sharing with them, why should you do that? Because God calls us to live set apart lives, wholly dedicated to him. But that's God's will for our life, that we be sanctified, set apart. Another one is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, that's God, so as God is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In verse 16, he quotes from Leviticus, You shall be holy, for I am holy, the I there is God. So again, if for no other reason, why should we focus and resolve to be holy? Because God said to, it's an actual command. God's holy, we must be holy. God told Israel in the Old Testament, be holy like he is. God tells us in the New Testament, be holy like he is as well. Paul says God's will for your life is that you be holy, you be sanctified. Peter says it as well, that if you are a child of God, it's actually our obligation to get our mind in gear and set out on a path of greater holiness. So we have to make it a priority. That's where it starts. So this year, making all your plans as good as they may be, let's take time and remember we have to actually prioritize on purpose, make a priority to say, how will I be more holy in 2023 than I was in 2022? What's the strategy for holiness? Let's get to the actual plan. How could we do this? Well, if you've made it a priority, you've set out to do it, you're convinced it's something you should focus on, what do you do? I want to borrow from Paul here. I think he lays out a strategy. The strategy for holiness starts in Romans chapter 12. So Paul says this in 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice some phrases with me for a moment. He says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, Paul doesn't mean we sacrifice ourselves like the animals were in the Old Testament. But what he is saying is, those animals were meant to be given over for sins. They were sacrificed on behalf of the person. The point is, though, those animals were used for a special purpose. So Paul is saying, let me draw on that analogy a little bit to say, my life and your life should be lived as if it's a sacrifice offered up to God. Well, the animals that the Israelites brought could not be common. They couldn't have a broken bone. They couldn't have a bruised spot. They couldn't have a disease or an illness. They couldn't, it specifically says they couldn't be blind in one eye. God demanded the best of all the animal sacrifices. He said, your most valuable lamb, goat, cow, bull, the most valuable, the perfect looking one, that's what you bring to the temple and offer to the Lord. 
Not your weakest, not your least favorite, not the one that you think you can't even sell at the market so you'll just take it to the Lord. He says your best. Paul says, okay, think about your life now. And it's a sacrifice. And you're going before the Lord and you're saying, God, I don't bring an animal to offer to you in worship, but I bring my life before you as a sacrifice. Then Paul says, it had better be the best you can bring. You don't just give him the common stuff, you give him the best. So Paul says, you think that way and say, okay, I'm going to set my life apart. I'm going to carry out my actions as I'm giving God a holy and acceptable sacrifice. The word body here is our physical bodies. And what Paul is getting at by using that word is this, I believe. Our physical bodies are where we exist right now. Until we get to heaven, we exist in these physical bodies. We carry out actions with these bodies. We say things with these bodies. We have thoughts in our minds through these bodies. Well, he's saying your body's a sacrifice because what we think and what's in our hearts, it comes out through our actions. We carry out actions in our bodies. So Paul then is being very all-inclusive here to say, you need to offer your whole life before the Lord as an acceptable sacrifice. We must get our bodies under control, Paul would say. We must present them before the Lord as an acceptable sacrifice. So, but how do we do that? Well, he goes on with a little bit more of the process. Here's where it starts. So here's kind of step one for a strategy for holiness. It would be to start here. It starts with the mind. Holiness starts with the mind. Because he says here in verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal. Of the Greek word, this word conformed means to fit the mold of something. And he's saying the world has its way of thinking, its way of doing things. And the world means the sinful world, this world system that's ungodly. Paul says, don't take your life and try to fit it into the mold of the world. Make it be different. Make it be set apart from the way the world likes to think and do things. That's the idea of being set apart. Be different from the world. Don't be conforming. Be transforming. And there's a difference. The word transform here is where we get our English word metamorphosis. So this word in Greek meant that there's an, a change that starts and then it flows out and you can visibly see this change. The same word that Paul used about transforming your mind, what's interesting there, it's the same word used in the Gospels when Jesus goes up to the mountain and he's transfigured is the word that's used. Jesus' appearance physically changed. He was glowing and bright and shining. And Peter, James, and John are just so freaked out at this scene, they don't know what to think about it. And then all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses appear right there with Jesus, and they're talking to one another. That scene was a picture, sort of, of Jesus' glorified state. His resurrected body wasn't resurrected yet, but that's a picture he gave them of his glorified, resurrected state in the kingdom. But the point was the word transformed, transfigured, was he changed outwardly, and it was visibly noticeable. Like the butterflies change, the caterpillar and the cocoon and the butterfly, there's this metamorphosis process. There's a change, a transforming change. Paul uses that same word to say that's the idea of a Christian to transform the mind. It should go through this process of metamorphosis. It starts over here, but you grow in holiness and it comes out of you. People can see it. It's very visible. The word renewing that he used meant to cause something to become new and different with the implication that it's now superior. It's better than what it used to be. So with that in mind, Paul is then saying, okay, Christians, have your mind changed, transformed, and renewed so it's better than what it used to be, so that you can live a life more holy to the Lord. 
So Paul's strategy for holiness was for his mind to be transformed. Now, I believe he started there because once the mind is transformed, the body will follow. If you're, you get your mind transformed, you're, it's going to be easier to get your body under control so you do holy things with your body. It's kind of like dieting and exercising. I've read studies that say most of dieting and exercising is actually psychological. It starts in the brain. It starts in the mind. A lot of times people, have, I'm not an expert in this, but I've just read this. It's interesting to me. Like, why do people fail diets so often? And from what I've read, it really is mental. It's psychology. They get started. They meant well. They tried well, but something triggered or they weren't fully focused or they didn't make it a priority and they just kind of fell off the rails. They lost track. It's mental, though. It, it, psychologically, they have to set out and say, I'm resolved to do this and I won't stop no matter what. And they make a plan for the diet and a plan for the exercise. Their mind is constantly on the goal of I'm going to be healthier, so I'm not going to stop until I'm there. It's the same way Paul would say it starts in the mind to be holy. The result is, he says in Romans here, that you can test, you can discern what the will of the Lord is. Now, it's logical if you think about it. We shouldn't focus on actions that we need to change first. You first focus on your mindset. Is your mind right first would be the question. Are we thinking about things that produce holy thoughts? Are we watching things that produce holy thoughts? Are we listening to things that produce holy thoughts? Are we reading things that produce holy thoughts? I've been in youth ministry before I came here. Many of you know that. I've seen this with teenagers over and over. And really, it's no different with adults. I'm just saying teenagers because that's who I worked with. But teenagers, adults, it's the same for everybody. But I saw it with teenagers, though. They listen to junk music. And what happens, it gets in their brain. It gets in their head. And they don't realize it, but music impacts us. Have you ever caught yourself just singing a song? You say, where'd that come from? Or you say the phrase, that song is stuck in my head. Well, if you put bad stuff in there, junk songs, then what's going to be stuck in your brain? Junk. You watch junk shows, junk TV, what gets stuck in the brain? Junk. There's a saying that you've probably heard, garbage in, what comes out? Garbage out. Junk in, junk out. Garbage in, garbage out. It, it's very logical to think that way. That's how it works. So then the question would become, what am I focusing my mind on? What am I letting come into my mind as a person? Is it things that promote my holiness? Or is it things that, if I'm honest, it's just garbage? Maybe it's not even wrong, but it's just pointless. It's just stuff that's fluff and just fills the time. I read another article. I, I didn't bring the statistics with me, so I'll take my word for it. I don't remember the numbers, but this article was explaining how there's hours and hours spent among people, what they call aimless scrolling on social media. Just you sit there one day and you're on Facebook and you, before you know it, you've spent 30 minutes and 45 and you've just been scrolling through looking at people's stuff, Instagram, whatever it may be. But the point of this article was we don't realize it, but we just kind of sit there on our phones or whatever it is and, and we're lost in it. It's not that maybe the stuff you looked at's wrong, but it's just pointless. It doesn't promote your betterment. It doesn't promote your holiness. You could have used your time in better ways is the idea. So focus on transforming your mind. That's where holiness starts. That's the strategy. Focus on transforming your mind. Well, what are some strategies? You just have to watch and guard what you let come into your mind, what you watch, what you listen to, what you read. Focus your mind on the things of God. That, that would include everything from music to shows to literature. That's why the Bible is so critical. 
That is why, yes, you should resolve this year to read the Bible better. Because it's God's word infecting your mind, not junk. Wouldn't it be better if you and I had a Bible verse stuck in our head that we can't get rid of rather than a bad song? Well, you're not going to have that if we're not taking in God's word in our mind. So this is where the specific resolutions have their place. Bible reading and planning to prayer, those are all good things, but remember what they're for. They're for transforming the mind. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this in verses 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 is critical. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul says very simply, very plainly, how do I do this? Just set your mind on the things above, not the things on this earth. Set your mind on godly things, not earthly things. So make a plan for 2023 to transform your mind first. That is the first strategy for being holy is changing and altering what we're letting come into our minds this year. Put more godly things in than earthly things and ungodly things. As the mind begins to change and transform, the next phase kicks in. So the next part of the strategy is bring your body under your control. Back in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In this passage, Paul brings up a brilliant analogy of a marathon runner. And he says, you, you picture a marathon runner, picture any athlete, though, of any sport. But a marathon's a good example being first place. Not all 10 or, or 20 or 30 get first place. Only the first place runner gets first place. So Paul says, okay, the point is every athlete has to, they must exercise self-control in all things or they'll lose. You think of an Olympic swimmer, an Olympic runner, any Olympic athlete, and if you were to hear their story, I guarantee they would tell you that they spend hours and hours and months out of the year. Their life is probably consumed with just training to prepare for that one Olympic event. Their life is geared to that moment. If they didn't, they wouldn't even be able to compete. So Paul says that's what athletes do. It's no different for you and I as Christians. He says in verse 26, I do not run aimlessly. I'm not on the track of life living as a Christian, just running wherever I want. I have a focus. I have a purpose in the way I'm running. And he says this phrase, I do not box as one beating the air. So here Paul says, I'm not like a boxer that just swings at nothing. Boxers swing at something. They swing at the opponent. Runners run with a purpose. They run on the track. They don't just go where they want. Boxers don't just box the air. There's a purpose. There's a focus. There's self-control so that they can win. Paul says that's like the Christian life. It's like a marathon. And we're athletes and we have to play by the rules or we'll lose. And this word discipline here that I read in verse 27 is interesting. He says, I discipline my body to keep it under control. In the Greek it was written and this word could literally be translated to give a black eye. It's like Paul says, I'm hitting my own body. I'm beating it down so it submits to my will. 
Paul says, I'm not going to let my body take control of me. I'm taking control of my body. I wear my body down into submission. Now, he doesn't mean literally he's beating his body. He's giving an analogy here. He's saying, I make my body my servant. I'm not a servant to my body. I don't let my lust and other things control me. I have them under control. I can control my impulses and these urges. Paul says, I have gotten my body in a place where it's under my control. So Paul's strategy was to bring his body into submission to himself. His strategy was that he could bring his body into Christ-likeness, to conform it, to live more like Christ and follow the will of Christ. Our bodies are sinful. It's the fact of the matter. We have sin in our mind. We have sin in our bodies. That's why Paul says that we have to get rid of this body of flesh to be in heaven. That's why you're going to get a new resurrected body, one without sin. It's not just that we'll never die, and that's important. It's really, though, we'll actually be without sin in our daily lives when we're in heaven. The body will have no more sin in it. There'll be no more urges and pulls and tuggles in our hearts that we're battling, trying to fight lust and all these urges. That won't exist anymore because there's no more sin in us or around us. But while we're in this body, Paul says, we will face a battle. So we have to fight to keep it under our control. We transform our mind... Then we focus on getting our bodies under control to what our mind wants to do. So transform the mind, focus on holy things, holy thoughts. Then get the body to follow and you'll do holy things. You get your mind to control your body, not your body controlling your mind. It is a battle though. Paul was harsh by saying he beats his body. He gives it a black eye, so to speak, to get it in submission. Now again in Colossians 3 verse 5, Paul says these things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul there says there's an old you and a new you. The old you died when you came to faith in Christ and you're born again. You have a new you, but you still have this body of flesh and we live in a world of sin still. So temptations will still be out there. But Paul says, but God has given you the Holy Spirit in your heart. He's given you a new nature, a new heart. And if you'll let him, he will transform your mind so that you can bring that body under your control and live more for him with your actual actions that you take. With his language very strong, because he said in Colossians, put to death what is earthly in you. I think sometimes, unfortunately, myself included at times, we, we sort of take sin very lightly. We, we know it's bad and wrong, and, and we ask God to forgive us, and we try to do better. But the Bible is very strong in its language about eradicating sin in our lives. Put it to death, Paul said. Don't let it stay alive. Don't think you can hold sin prisoner and keep it in a cell. and You can just look at it when you want. No, Paul says kill it. Give sin the death penalty in your life. Get rid of it. So get your body under your control is the way to holiness. We need self-discipline. It starts in the mind, but then focus on self-discipline in all these other areas of our life. I want to share with you Jesus' even more radical strategy for getting rid of sin in our lives. That's found in Matthew 18, verse 7. Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. 
For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptations come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two and be thrown into the hellfire. Now, was Jesus being literal? No, at least I certainly hope not. But no, he wasn't being literal. He was being a Jewish rabbi for his day using their teaching methods of hyperbole or a parable. So he's sort of giving this parable to say this, Jesus, how should I treat sin in my life? And he says, well, it's kind of like you're a person and you keep looking at things you shouldn't look at. You know how you could really stop that? Just don't have eyes anymore. Then you won't look at stuff you shouldn't look at. And if your feet causes you to go places where you shouldn't go and you sin, well, you know how to stop that? Just lose your ability to walk. And then you won't go there anymore. Now, he wasn't, again, being literal. But he was making a very strong point. Don't play with sin. Whatever is causing us to sin, get rid of that. Make every effort to avoid those things that lead us to temptation and to sin. Jesus was, was saying it, it is True, there will be temptations. Those are inevitable, he said. But don't be the one that causes someone else to stumble into sin and don't stumble into sin by taking every measure that you can to get rid of sin in your life. He said it'd be better, it's as if it'd be better for you to be in heaven with only one eye than two. If it meant you losing one eye, it stopped you from sinning on earth. It'd be better for you to be in heaven with one foot than two. If it meant you losing a foot, you stopped sinning on earth. That was the extreme point he was making. Again, not literal, But the point is still taken. Jesus said you need to be radical to get rid of sin in your life. We should radically use all measures to get sin out of our life. Don't take it lightly. Don't play with sin. Don't think it isn't a big deal. So we would ask ourselves for this year, what areas of my life do I struggle with the most? Think about the triggers that engage you to sin the most. It could be a person. It could be a group of people. It could be a situation, certain stresses. There's, you, you know them, they're personal to you and personal to me, but there's these sort of trigger moments that when we're in them, that's when we're tempted the most to sin. That's when we're the weakest. Think about what those are and make a plan to get rid of those in your life or avoid them. You may have to alter choices in your life this year. You, you may have to alter paths that you used to take that you're not going to take anymore. You may have to avoid places that you used to go to that you say, I, I can't go there anymore. When, when I was in college, I'm you know, being honest with you here, so in college, I, I was at parties and places and saw all kinds of things, and I never once did drugs. I have seen it and didn't want anything to do with it, but I was offered alcohol, and I struggled for probably half a year in college. I would go to parties, and I, they would have this alcohol there, and, and it was like I couldn't stop. I couldn't control it. I was either not drinking or really bad drinking. Now, I finally hit a point in my life when I said, you know what? If I keep on this path, it's not going to go anywhere good. So I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. But here's what I found happened. I still went around the same people. I still went to the still there. The temptation was still there. The urges are still there. So then I had to make really hard choices. I loved the people. I, I wished them well. They were good people in a lot of ways in their lives, but they had this thing that they liked to do, which was party and drinking. But I had to make really tough choices with many of them and just cut off those relationships. I wasn't rude to them. I didn't say I hate them. But hey, do you want to come over to it? I can't. I don't do that anymore. I just cannot. I couldn't physically go to someone's house 
or a place. I just had to shut it down. Once I stopped going there, once I stopped engaging with these people, the temptations weren't there as much. I was in a better place to say, I'm not tempted with this anymore. I grew through that over time. But my point in sharing that is, if I didn't make those radical changes of, unfortunately, I had to just cut certain people out. Again, I still talk to them. I'm not saying, you know, completely ignore them and be rude. But I had to just say, I I don't want to be this person anymore. And when I'm at your place, it's never good. I can't control myself. I just can't go there. It made a couple mad, you know, but I will tell you now looking back, I've had a couple reach out and say, hey, it was good that you did that because later on it got them to thinking too. Now, my point then is we have to take radical measures to avoid those places, those triggers that cause you to be in your weakest moments to engage in that sin, whatever it is. If you don't, it is probably never going to stop and get any better. You have to make a plan, though, to change those things. I've heard an analogy once, I didn't come up with this, from another pastor. He gave, I thought, a great illustration. He said, I picture Satan has an office. So you picture whatever Satan's office looks like. And he has a filing cabinet in his office. And in that filing cabinet, he has a file on each and every Christian. He has a file with your name on it and my name on it. And he can look at you and say, I'm really going to get them today. And he goes to this file cabinet and he pulls out this file with your name on it. And in this file, he knows you, probably knows you better than you know yourself. He knows when you're at your weakest. He knows the things that dangle in front of you to make you go a certain way and fall into certain things. He knows all of those intimate details. You had better believe Satan is strategic with his plans to get each and every one of us. He is not going to tempt me in the same way he's going to tempt you. Because my temptations, my things, my composition, my personality, all those things lead to a different strategy for how Satan's going to come after me and how he's going to come after you. But the point is we have to recognize this stuff and be on guard because Satan is out there. You know the scriptures. They say he's out there prowling like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. He knows how to get at you. He knows how to get at me. Then you and I have to sort of counter-strategize against him. So, okay, when I go to this place or with these people, these things happen and they're not good. They don't promote my holiness then that has to stop. I have to have a different strategy, a different plan, a different method. So here's, again, the summary of the strategy. Focus on transforming your mind first. Make a plan, guard your mind, guard what you let in it. This is where Bible reading and and prayer and all those specific resolutions, they are good. Implement those. But remember, it's not about saying to yourself, I'll read the Bible better this year or I'll pray more. That's fine to say we'll do that, but we have to step back first and say, But I won't do that as well if I'm not changing things in my life that I already have, I'm engaged in, that they're really junk and they're infecting my mind in a bad way. They're going to push against the good things you want to do for the Lord this year. So if you don't actively say, I have to get rid of the junk, I have to transform my mind first, it's going to be a lot more difficult to do those things you really want to do for the days of our life. Do we need to give over control to the Lord for our minds? In what areas of our life do we need to let our bodies not have control over us when we've been letting them? Whatever those are, we have to make a plan to change it. We have to make a plan to bring our mind and our bodies into submission to the things of God. Paul has a good summary in Colossians 3 again, verse 12. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful indeed if you were called in one body. And be thankful. Verse 16, though. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The couple of points to point out from there is in 15 and 16. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. How? He followed up with, let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. How do I get my mind transformed? It starts with letting God's word infect my heart and my mind. Get rid of the junk and put godly things in. And then focus on getting my body under control. So make a plan to be holy this year. Plan to transform your mind. Plan to get your body under your control. Resolve to be holy this year, but it has to be an intentional plan and an intentional effort has to be made a priority. The gospel is the first step to holiness. Being a child of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the first step of being holy. I pray that you all are he- are here today, but again, it needs to be pointed out that you must come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is where holiness begins. And once you are a born-again child of God through your faith in Christ, you can say, I know God has forgiven me of my sins. I now belong to the family of God. Then your journey of holiness can begin. So let's live like followers of Christ in 2023 this year, being more holy. I want to pray and ask Bruce and his people to come forward. Lord, thank you that you have given us your book, your word, so that we may learn your mind and your thoughts, your truths to live by. I pray that this year would be a great year for everyone here, Lord, not just great with maybe more money or better jobs. I mean, if they need those things, Lord, I pray that you would provide these physical needs. But beyond all of that, Lord, I pray this would be a great year for each of us that we would, we would be able to look back and say, I am more holy this year than I was last time. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.